Ebenezer this morning? I love that hymn. Everybody always sings that. Nobody knows what exactly that means. It's not the language that we use anymore. I hope you enjoyed your Easter. It was a great weekend last weekend, and uh, it was great seeing all the people that came out. So many people were here as I stood in the foyer and greeted people that have not been here since uh, before COVID. Um, it just feels like a renewing time, as Easter does, both spiritually, theologically, and socially. Uh, but now we're going to return uh, to our preaching series in the book of Acts. So as we do so, we're going to be in Acts chapter 5, if you want to open up your Bibles. And let's have a word of prayer as we get started this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from you. I pray, Lord, that uh, as we read our word together, as we hear the, the words of uh, Luke that he writes so many years ago, that they will be just come afresh into our hearts, into our minds. Father, you have something for us to learn today, and I pray, Father, that uh, this would be clear. You would help me to be clear as I speak. But, uh, Father, those things in our life that tend to crowd into our minds and our hearts to take away our attention from what you have for us, we pray, Father, that you would help us to lay those aside in the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask for this mercy and this blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I said, we're in Acts chapter 5. Um, we are supposed to go down... Uh, all the way uh, and read quite a bit of this but I'm going to take a little bit of a pastoral prerogative this morning because we're dealing with the subject starting in verse 12 that I probably get more questions on uh, from people just in the hallways and in emails and texts than almost any other section of scripture uh, and that's dealing with signs and wonders we're just not used to thinking about that, at least in our branch of evangelicalism. So as we go into this today, we're going to focus on this. We're going to just kind of let the text speak to us, but we're also going to just step to the side and try to handle this and quickly. Um, just, just for the record, a lot of times if you're in uh, Bible college, seminary, you'll take a whole semester just on this subject. Uh, some men spend an entire lifetime trying to grasp it and understand it. But this morning, we're going to get this done as few minutes as we possibly can. So hold on. We're going to have a great time in this and let God teach us uh, his word. So we're going to start reading in verse 12. And it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. We're focusing on that first line. Now, many signs and wonders. Uh, 
This has been a perplexing issue for most of us. And yet it is just throughout the New Testament a phrase that is repeated over and over again. Uh, some 17 times the phrase signs and wonders is used just in the book of Acts alone. 31 times in the New Testament signs and wonders are spoken of. Another way to think about it is miracles. These are miracles. Uh, fully 31% of the Gospel of Mark, the foundational Gospel of the New Testament, deals with miracles. 40% of the narrative of Jesus' ministry is speaking to and about miracles. Uh, suffice it to say that at the core of what Christ did and who he was, dealt with signs and wonders, dealt with miracles. And we want to take an understanding of that. I, I think as we consider this this morning, most of us would confess to the fact that in the midst of all the confusion about this topic, there is much abuse. There are those who would use signs and wonders, the teaching of it and the practice of it, to mislead God's people and even the very lost for their own personal purposes. We want to make sure that we understand this and that we have a full grasp of what this is about. So signs and wonders, it's an important thing. So why? Let's first of all look at its purpose. Why is Luke talking about this in chapter 5? Notice this is a kind of a strange thing. It's not the typical miracle that we see, a gift of healing, uh, the way that it's done. People are coming out and they're in just hope that Peter's shadow would fall upon them. Uh, people strategically laid out their mats uh, so that they are in the right position with the sun on the temple square that as Peter came daily to Solomon's portico to preach the word and to deal with people's needs by healing them, by casting out demons and so forth, that his shadow would just touch upon them. This is not unique. Uh, it's not that Luke is uh, participating in some hagiography, uh, raising up Peter to be this great man. This is the fact of what was going on, and we know that first and foremost, Luke is a historian, and in every other way, the book of Acts is meticulously put together and researched, and he's going to witnesses and getting their testimonies, and he's recording that for us. So when he writes this, he is as serious that this happened as he is with any other section of this book. And yet, we're not comfortable with that. In our Western mentality, in our closed universe system, in our scientific high-tech age, the thought that someone's shadow could heal somebody, uh, if that were to happen today, or if people were to give testimony to that today, we would think, oh, you're, you're something wrong with you. Uh, you're a huckster. You ought to be on, have your own TV show. Uh, you're probably trying to raise money. You're, you're one of those who abuse such things but yet it happened. It's real. So we have to deal with it. We have to have an understanding of it. Luke's purpose in recording so many instances of signs and wonders, and in that category would fall gifts such as prophecy, uh, speaking in tongues, healing, casting out demons or a deliverance ministry and so forth. Um, the reason that he's doing this is because he's trying to show, first of all, that there is continuity between the Gospels and the book of Acts. If in Jesus' day, 
showing signs and wonders was his calling card of his messiahship so it is for the apostles that they belong in the same vein as ministry of christ you have the gospels you have jesus come die on the cross be resurrected ascend to the right hand of the father well it's not over that's basically what luke is saying it's not over it's not done these apostles these 12 now 11 then added one they're doing the same things they're doing the same miracles it shouldn't be surprising to us we see this elsewhere and even within the gospels but for now as we study luke or excuse me acts chapter 5 uh, luke is saying it's still here that power of god that was seemed to be so unique to jesus christ is actually hanging with them and we see this with jesus because all you have to do is go back for instance and read in matthew chapter 4 and this description of Christ is here. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And why? Well, so his fame spread throughout all Syria. and They brought to him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. This was Jesus' calling card. This is the way that he had of saying through his heavenly father, I am unique. I am the son of God. I am the Messiah. Notice, pay attention. Abandon all other loyalties and follow me and me alone. And now we get to the book of Acts and we see that the apostles are doing the same thing except they're pointing back to Christ. And we're going to look at that in a second. And when they do these miracles, they're always doing so in the name of Jesus. It's a certification of what makes one an apostle. This is the way that at least the Apostle Paul felt that authenticated his demonstration of his apostolic gifts. According to Second Chronicle, or excuse me, Corinthians chapter 12, uh, Paul is doing miracles as an attestation to the authenticity of a person's claim to be an apostle, one who is especially touched by Jesus to minister to the people. He writes, I have been a fool. You have forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles. In other words, he wasn't with the original 12 as they were spending their lives with Christ for those three years. He came on the scene late, not until the experience on the Damascus Road was Paul touched with the gifting that he needed to be an apostle. But he says, the sign of the true apostles were performed among you with utmost patience. And here's that phrase, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Paul could do these things as well. So, purposely, Luke is trying to show continuity between the Gospels and the beginning history of the church. Secondly, it's the sign that an apostle has truly been touched by Christ. This is how we know they had these gifts. They were in duplication of what Christ had already done. We see this explained in other parts of scripture, like Hebrews chapter 2. 
God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The church was built on miracles. I don't think that can be overstated enough. And yet we look around at our churches today and we say, where are the miracles? Where are those who are doing signs and wonders? What are our expectations in this area? It's almost as if we have shed ourselves of this aspect that is so prominently displayed in the Gospels and the book of Acts. And we need to address that. So Luke is saying that these signs and wonders show that Peter, John, James, and the rest of the apostles in Acts are furthering the movement that Jesus started. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being that cornerstone. So why? Let's ask ourselves that question. Why signs and wonders? What, what is it about that? In the original Greek, we see these, this phrase over and over again, saman and tarata. 17 times, as I said, in this book alone, this phrase is used. It becomes clear how important miracles performed by the apostles were to the building of the church. It's obvious that the purpose of signs and wonders, at least in my opinion, is to grab the attention of an unbelieving heart, someone held in bondage to the things of this world. We are told a little bit later in Acts uh, that that is the very purpose of it. So if I turn to Acts chapter 9, I'm going to see this in demonstration. If signs and wonders were used by God to grab the hearts of people to be a breakthrough moment in a community, in a synagogue, uh, in an individual's heart where they turn to Christ, we see this in Acts chapter 9, verse 32 as first example. And it says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda, and there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Eight years this man couldn't move. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Now, since I'm a preacher, I have to make it sound like that. Rise and make your bed. You know, But probably Peter, just as the fisherman he was, there wasn't a lot of fanfare. He didn't have a script on this. He's just talking honestly. Jesus Christ heals you. Arise. Make your bed. It must have been an exciting moment. Peter heals Aeneas, who had been sick for eight years. We're not told specifically what he had or how that came about, whether it was a sickness or an injury, but we do see the results if we keep reading, and it says, and this is the important thing, as to why, what's the purpose of signs and wonders? And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. This is the breakthrough moment. Signs and wonders are almost always accompanying evangelistic movements, especially into people groups communities, societies that have not previously had a witness to who Jesus Christ was. It's the calling card of the Messiah. If we keep on reading in the same part of Scripture, we get to yet another story, and it says again, verse 36, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, 
If I was her, I think I would keep Tabitha as well. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. Notice she died. This wasn't just sick. She died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two, two men to him, urging him, Please, come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down, and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said again, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Amazing. Think about that. Wow. Many of us have had people that we love pass on. They've died. How awesome would it be if someone could show up in their hospital room, could show up at an accident site and say, arise. Peter had that authority. And what's the result? There we see it in verse 42. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So two clear examples were signs and wonders. The purpose of them is to penetrate lost communities, lost societies for Christ. I contend this morning that we still see that happening all around the world. I spent a good part of this week uh, just resurrecting in a sense some of my old notes on miracles but also reading some contemporary testimonies to what God is doing in Africa and Asia and China missionaries give testimony to the fact that they see many if not all of these same miracles happen uh, today and yet we don't see them in our society in both of these instances in Acts chapter 9, Peter the Apostle comes into a place where the gospel has not been preached and immediately God set before him a person who needs to be healed and then gives him the power to do so. Specifically, to arrest the attention of those communities who do not believe. I contend this morning that the purpose of signs and wonders in the book of Acts is to introduce a saving message of grace to lost people. As I said, it's Jesus' calling card. It became the apostle certification of who they were in their relationship to Christ, that they had his blessing, his authority, to continue the ministry that he began. Notice that Peter says, in the name of Jesus. That's what it's about for these apostles. It's Jesus' introduction to a lost world. Think about the cos cosmology that's presented here in Scripture. Uh, I'm going to use a phrase that is commonly used called power encounters. On one hand, we have Christ, the Son of God, trying to the, do the best he can in sending people out into a lost world to win those lost people. We're told over and over again in Scripture that Christ died for us even while we were still his enemies, right? We needed to hear something. But it's not, sometimes it's not enough just to hear the truth of the preached message. Sometimes we need to see a physical demonstration of that power. 
his power over life and death, his power over sickness, his power over the demons that inflict us and cause fear and anxiety, depression, sometimes outright craziness, murderous intent. We need to see that power. And so on the other hand, we have Satan and his demons. And all, again, everywhere in Scripture, it's attested to the fact that, that we live in a very, very spiritual world inhabited by beings that we cannot see with the visible eye. And they are locked in combat. There is no real contest, is there? Jesus already defeated Satan on the cross. His death on the cross was what won him the ability to take the keys of life and death away from Satan. That archangel, that servant of God at one time, who now lives in full opposition to the purposes of the Lord, he seeks to do his destructive will, and Jesus seeks to counter them. And he uses us, you and me, his believers in Christ, as warriors in that warfare. We're not comfortable with that all the time. Spiritual warfare is not something that we typically talk about, teach about, and so forth, but we should. We should understand it. And because of that warfare, I think the term power encounter is an accurate way to understand what is happening in these signs and wonders. I know of a group of philosophers uh, that right now are gathering all the data they can on miracles that have been recorded since the time of Christ. Uh, looking back into church history, looking at various sources and so forth, they've stuck largely with Western ideology and philosophies, not going off into animistic religions, not going off into Asiatic religions, but just sticking with the flow of the church. And these guys are professors at three different universities in the country. They've won a Templeton Foundation grant to do this. Uh, you could be looking forward to a publication of that, but their purpose in doing it is to wake us up, in a sense. All three are great Christian men, and they're wanting the church to come alive to the fact that God has done miracles, God is doing miracles, and God shall increase, I think, the miracles that he is doing as the return of the sun gets closer and closer. You can read Craig Keener, a professor at Asbury Seminary's two-volume work entitled Miracles, and there you will find listing after listing after listing of miracles that he can attest to, that he has found evidence for. It's the most common thing in the world for the Church of Jesus Christ to be accompanied by signs and wonders as they penetrate into a lost world. Power Encounter is a demonstration by God's servants of God's incomparably great power for us who believe. We can support this scripturally. Ephesians 1.19 says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? This is power. It's based on the work of the cross. Colossians 2.15, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, 
God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. In other words, we were owned by Satan. Because of our sin, we had said, I am going to be in Satan's camp. I don't want God. It's a battle. But it says, going on, that he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus' death on the cross won us an ability to get out of that relationship, out of that loyalty, and to change our vision and our place and our purpose to God the Father. And it says, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Amazing. No longer do we have to fear the spiritual rulers and authorities, those that exist to try to uh, cause pain and bondage. Instead, we have freedom and we have joy in Christ. And this is done through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in confrontation with and victory over the works of Satan's and demons. And I love this passage in Luke 10, 19, when Jesus is sending out the 70, he says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. He means that, by the way. It's not just a metaphor. Um, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Powerful. In their attacks on God's children, or the control of unbelievers, resulting in the glory of God and the salvation of the lost and the upbuilding of believers. The power encounter does all those things. It saves us from attacks on God's children. It helps get unbelievers out of the control of Satan's uh, cosmology. And it results in the glorifying and the glorification of God by the salvation of the lost and the uplifting of believers. Brothers and sisters around the world are very aware of this. They see these things happening all the time. The places of greatness revival right now, and maybe revival isn't the right word, but the place where the gospel's making the greatest strides uh, are with our brothers and sisters in Christ in places like Africa, in places like Asia. And they see these miracles. They attest to miracles all the time. Missionaries who are stationed there see them as well. And yet, brothers and sisters from around the world look at us in the United States, and they wonder, what is going on? How can we, who has been often triumphed as a Christian nation, seem to be so barefoot of power? We don't seem to have a testimony to what God is doing in a great way. We've been kind of quiet, not since the Great Awakening, first or second possibly the Cane Ridge Revival, have we seen demonstrations of the Spirit in this manner on a corporate or societal level? I find that power encounter is a handy and accurate designation for what's happening with signs and wonders. It's borrowed from those who are on the front lines of spiritual warfare. But to be clear, it's not limited to just those parts of the world. As we slide more and more into a post-Christian society, I think that we're going to see the necessity of such signs and wonders coming forth from the church, churches that have never before embraced such theology or practices. 
we have to be open to the fact that God wants to bless his people by demonstrating who he is, by demonstrating who Christ is, by seeing the imitation of the same miracles that happened in the first century happening in our century. Something to be aware of, though, and this is another part of the teaching on signs and wonders. Satan is able to do almost all of the same miracles himself. We've seen this all too often. As we see the people who are on TV, uh, charlatans who preach healing, uh, who hold healing revivals and so forth, later we find out that it was a fake, that they were just doing parlor tricks more or less, and yet then others seem to have actual abilities, but we find that their hearts are far from the Lord. Satan has this ability. Not only can Christians, and in this case in the book of Acts, apostles demonstrate supernatural power, Satan is quite capable of enslaving people with the same power that resides in him and his demons. Therefore, we have to beware. We have to be able to measure a person who says that they have these gifts. We have to know them as a person, and we have to know them as a ministry. We see this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, The coming of the lawless one, that is Satan, is by the activity of Satan with all the power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 24 giving his sermon, uh, the Olivet Discourse, in which he is giving us prophecy signs, prophetic signs to look for prior to his return, says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. Notice the same phrase, great signs and wonders. So as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. That's us. There will be those who will come that have the same ability possibly to even raise people from the dead, certainly to heal from major illnesses. And it'll be tempting to say, oh, they must be of Jesus. They must be of Christ, just like we saw in Scripture. But Jesus said, beware, be warned, test them, see who they are and where they're from and what they're about. I saw this firsthand, or at least I can give testimony to it. When I was a student at Dallas Seminary, I took a class in angiology taught by, uh, in my opinion, at least one of the greater Christian philosophers, uh, Dr. Norm Geisler, and he told us the story of a young man in his church in California where he was an elder. Now, this young man was crippled, and he had to pretty much exist in a wheelchair. And uh, the neat thing about him was that he had an amazing prayer ministry. Everybody in their church and in their community knew that if you wanted something prayed for, go find this young man. He seemed to have the ear of God. In fact, he carried a small briefcase in his lap. And in that briefcase were a whole bunch of cards, little business cards. And on them, he wrote all of the prayer requests that people shared with him. And you knew that he would faithfully pray for you morning and night. He was known for that. One day, the young man came to the elders of the church, and he said, I wonder if you guys would do me the favor of praying for my healing. And we're told that in the book of, you know, the uh, scriptures that call your elders together. Have them anoint you. Confess your sins to them. 
and they could pray for your healing. And this man wanted to see if that would help him. So Norm and the fellow elders gathered around him. They prayed for him, and seemingly to no avail. There was no healing. The young man became discouraged, if not somewhat bitter, wondering why God was withholding his favor from him. Well, some time passed, and the young man heard of a healer that was coming to his city that was going to be in a downtown building, and so he, uh, he went to the event. And there, the man saw that he was sitting in his wheelchair, and he told him to come forward. Some guys lifted his wheelchair on the platform, and he says, would you like to be healed? And he goes, yes, I would. And he says, then all you have to do is say you believe in me. And he says, well, I believe in Jesus Christ. And he says, that's great, that's good, but you need to believe in me as well. And the young man was hesitant to do that. But after some time, he thought, maybe this is my only chance. And so with a loud voice, he says, yes, I believe in you. The man laid his hand on him, prayed for him. And again, nothing seemed to happen. He went home somewhat discouraged. The next morning, he woke in bed, and the man could walk. His legs had been strengthened. He thought, it worked. I've been healed. He didn't get in that wheelchair again. He enjoyed his freedom. Some time passed, and this man was out doing all kinds of things, still trying to serve God, doing amazing things, enjoying his freedom. But after about a half year, he came back to the elders, and he said to them, and Dr. Geisler, something weird has happened. Uh, I've enjoyed being able to walk, but I can't pray. It's like there's an iron door between me and heaven, and my prayers bounce off of it, and God has closed himself off from me. What should I do? Norm and the other elders got gathered, and they talked for a while, and they came back and said, let me ask you, if we pray over you, if this healing is not of Christ, would you be willing to renounce it? young man thought about that it wasn't a good thought he really had enjoyed it but he eventually came to the conclusion that it meant more to him to have God's pleasure and the power of the Holy Spirit in his heart than what he was experiencing now so the elders gathered around him laid hands on him prayed for him prayed God if this is not of you then take it away and as they said amen, that young man collapsed to the ground. His legs once again withered and weakened, and he returned to the wheelchair. But his testimony is such that his prayer life was more powerful than ever. You see, Satan can imitate these same signs and wonders. Just because there's healing that's taking place, just because people are making prophetic utterances or doing any of these other giftings, doesn't mean it's of Christ. It's up to us as a church, maybe church leadership, to examine these things before God. There's no sacrifice, there's no shortcut that can happen there. Now you may be sitting here this morning thinking, you've gotta be kidding me, Foster. You're preaching on healing, 
Didn't you just hobble up here on a crutch? Well, I can just say this, that from my examination of Scripture, signs and wonders, and specifically the healing ministry, is done in the context of suffering. If you look at the apostles, if you look at Christ, they did not have free reign to heal whomever they wished. I'll just stop right there and say, I don't have the gift of healing, by the way. But they couldn't heal anybody. They couldn't heal people just willy-nilly. They only healed those whom God gave the authority to heal. It was by his permission, God the Father's permission, that the Son healed anyone. It was by Christ's permission that the apostles healed anyone. It is not something that you can just exercise. You know, think about it this way. The gifts that you do have, how do you use them? Uh, as a pastor, I may have a gift of wisdom and knowledge, but I may not be able to balance checkbook. You see, they're just not pervasive. They don't just necessarily color everything that we are. The Father gives us ability. When I prepare a sermon, I feel his power. I feel his strength. I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, do this. But I don't have that in every experience of my life. If a man says that he has the gift of healing and he's sitting in a wheelchair and he heals another man who's in a wheelchair, that's not necessarily something that you should uh, fear. Matter of fact, I think that would almost be more authenticating than what I typically see. We live in a society in which many people have taken advantage of signs and wonders to authenticate ministries that are not of Christ. And yet, sometimes we get so fearful of them that we go ahead and cast all into that basket. In the 1960s, in America, we saw the great battle between those who believed in signs and wonders and those who did not. Some chose to believe that signs and wonders ended with the time of the apostles. And they will only return when Christ returns. But I don't see that anywhere laid out in Scripture. I don't understand that to be the plain and clear teaching of what the Bible says. In the 1960s, Baptist denomination split. Methodist denomination split, all kinds of denominations split on this very issue. When I grew up in Omaha, the Omaha Gospel Tabernacle was one of the biggest churches in downtown Omaha, historically uh, just one of those churches that everybody knew of and took note of, but they also split on this very issue. One church went to West Omaha and became Trinity Church, a church that practiced signs and wonders, or at least made room for them. The other church uh, didn't. Both are big. Both are doing the will of God. I think if there's anything you hear from me this morning, it would be to say this. We need wholeness in the people of God. We need to come back together as the people of God. We cannot hold at arm's length things that we don't understand and say they're not of God. We need to embrace them. We need to pray for them. John Piper wrote an amazing article on this very thing, and he mentions that we must uh, understand the purpose of signs and wonders. He says, signs and wonders are not the saving word of grace. They're God's secondary testimony to the word of grace. Signs and wonders do not save. They are not the power of God unto salvation. They do not transform the heart any more than music, 
or art or drama which accompany the gospel. But that being said, what would church be like if we took out music, if we took out art, if we took out drama, if we took out other secondary, as it were, gifts from the service? So what's the value? Well, think of it this way. The lost world exists in a shell created by their own sinfulness, created by the power of Satan, all to repel the message of the gospel. Piper says, signs and wonders can't save the world, but they shatter the shell of disinterest. They shatter the shell of cynicism, and they can shatter the shell of false religion. Like every other good witness to the word of grace, they can help the fallen heart to fix its gaze on the gospel where the soul-saving, self-authenticating glory of the Lord shines. We say we believe. We say that we understand this, that we can believe in healing. But where, where are signs and wonders? Do we make room in our church experience, in our personal lives, for what God wants to do for us and with us. We live in the shadow of the University of Iowa. It is our heart and prayer that the gospel penetrates into that place. But we should not make any mistake. This is a spiritual battle. This is spiritual warfare. We must use every tool that's available to us as Christians to win the hearts and minds of those young people that come to this town. Many thinking, hey, they can finally party. I'm away from mom and dad. And they start a life of debauchery that they can barely recover from except for a miracle, except for the healing grace of God. I believe that as I finish this this morning to say, I think a lot of this comes back to us as a church, to our church leadership our elders, us as pastors, we're called to pray for people, for healing and so forth. But we need to be praying for healing and so forth in the lost world as well. To practice those power encounters. To take the gospel into our neighborhoods that are so much in a shell of disinterest, of cynicism, of resistance to the gospel. We need them. So be in prayer. Be in earnest prayer that God will pour out his power through his people, just as he did in the first century, just as he did in the book of Acts. So shall he do, we hope, today in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Oh, Father, we humble ourselves and come to you asking for your guidance. Lord, we don't want to go into error. We don't want to be extreme. So many who dabble in those things, Father, seem to get lost. But may that not be us. On the other hand, Lord, I pray that we would not reject what you want to do through your church to reach the lost people of, these, of this community. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.